How is everybody doing today? So Mary just told me to announce a time change. Right? There's a time change. We're going forward, we're going back, there's something going on with time, I don't know. Anyway, this is spring. Right? So we're going forward. Boom! Look at me with the association. That's next uh, next week, right? Sometime, just all next week in anticipation of it. Just uh, just go forward. Just live your life in the future. Stop living in the past. Let it go. Okay. I don't know. Okay. So Sam asked me to share with you this morning. He's at a meeting in L.A. and uh, um, it's it's a mosaic thing. I don't know. And uh, he wants to begin book three of Psalms with you next time, um, which begins in the 73rd Psalm. And uh, last week he taught out of the 63rd Psalm. So uh, he was like, there's your window. You know, boom, pick a Psalm. It's got to be between this, this cluster. And, uh, and I looked at the 73rd Psalm and just resented him. Um, <laughs> Just an amazing psalm, you know. So next week, it's going to be phenomenal. Not to say that, you know, all the psalms aren't great. I mean, uh, asking, you know, anyone to pick a, you're going like this is, is okay, that's, that's how, oh, you were asking him to scratch your back. Okay. I was like, this won't accomplish that. need to go back. So, okay. Super. So, um but, you know, reading through the Psalms during that one, it's like uh, looking through a pile of diamonds for something special. You know, it's like, you, how, how can you pick up a diamond and go, oh, this is garbage, I'm not going to do that. So, you know, but it just, it wouldn't happen because all of them are special and significant and amazing and impactful. And, uh, but it's, it just seemed like Psalm 67 was the one that, that suited uh, the, the conversation that I've been having with uh, the high schoolers as of late. Some of them are, are here today. Uh, we've been talking about just, just who we are and how we engage the world around us. Now, you might look at this psalm and go, well, you know, that's all well and good, but I know why you really picked that psalm. Because it's the shortest psalm during that window. And you want to get off that stage as quickly as you possibly can. Which plays a part. <laughs> it's seven verses, and one of those verses repeats, so in reality, it's six verses. Um, but it's a glorious little treasure, and it gives us quite a bit to consider, and that's what we're going to do this morning. Let's read it uh, in its entirety, and then I'll go ahead and uh, pray once more this morning. Psalm 67, beginning in verse 1, God be merciful to us, bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for this morning that you've given us. Lord, this 
special opportunity that we have every Sunday. May we never take it for granted, Lord, that we get to gather together with one another. Lord, what a special uh, and significant moment in our, in our week to be with brothers and sisters, to sit at the feet of our Father. Lord, to hear from you. Lord, to be touched by you. Lord, to be moved and encouraged, to be corrected, exhorted. I pray, God, that you would have something for each and every one of us, God, and that you would speak to us, Lord, individually and specifically. Lord, meet us right where we're at. Lord, I pray, God, that as we sit before you, God, as we as we hear from you, God, that we would be compelled to move forward in what we hear, that it wouldn't just be an exercise of the ears. And Lord, I trust all this into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Is that my baby back there with the woo? That's what he does. That's his whole life. Um, okay. Is it a little bit dark? It seems, it seems like a little, like a little, uh, like a little, here we come. Here it comes. You ready? No? No? Let there be light. Boom. There you go. Ask and you shall receive. The minute I said that, Gil just snapped into action. It's like a ninja of turning on lights. So every, every morning, verse 1, this was their prayer. God, be merciful to us. Bless us. Cause his face to shine upon us. Uh, but what I want to draw us into is a consideration of the purpose for this prayer. And, and this verse should sound familiar to you. You've all been in church for, for quite a while. This was uh, the, the, this benediction, this blessing that God gave to the priests to bestow upon his people according to Numbers chapter 6. Uh, verses 24 through 26. And it sounds very similar uh, to this. It's slightly uh, different here, but the illusion isn't a, a mistake. This was written deliberately so that the nation would make this connection. Right? This was a prayer given by God to uh, his people to be rehearsed in the temple, in the tabernacle, in your homes, in our Hearts, and uh, it was to remind us that we're guilty and that we can come before God humbly and ask for mercy. It was to lead us to our Father and seek a blessing, to uh, ask Him to shine upon us and be pleased with us. Uh, but the progression really goes to absurd heights. And I think that's something that we miss when we read this because we're so used to hearing these words, God, be merciful to us, bless us, and make your face shine upon us. We miss how insane this really sounds. You know, when I was a, a, a kid, um, I, my brother and I, we would chase each other around the house. And, and our house, the house I grew up in, is kind of built like a giant circle. So you can run around all the rooms in the house. And so we would chase each other around these rooms. And, and my parents, they have very expensive taste in things. I don't, I don't know why, but they like, they like nice things. And I just like practical things. But, you know, they, they had all these beautiful, expensive antiques around the house. And uh, they, they would, you know, they'd see us and we're just full 
of energy and uh, with a blatant disregard for other people's possessions. You know, and uh, they would say, you know, slow down. You, you gotta, there was constant nagging. You can't run like that in the house. And what are you thinking? You're going to knock over something. And that is it's worth more than your life. So you knock that down and you're dead. And, and we would be chasing each other and just going crazy in this house. And, and we'd think, well, I mean, what, what, what could possibly happen? I mean, what, what's the worst thing that can happen? They just don't realize that we're having fun. Or worse yet, they do realize that we're having fun, and they want to take all that away from us. They just want us to live a dreary, miserable life. Right? And, and, and we ran on, flailing our arms wildly as we came around corners and eventually knocked over a precious antique lamp. A precious antique lamp that uh, my mom actually told my wife about one of the first times she was ever at our house. She's like, this is where our precious antique lamp used to be in this house before this guy knocked it over. That's what you got to look forward to dating him. He is the destroyer of beautiful things. Yeah. So, but, but the first time, the first time we knocked over this lamp, it was a very expensive lamp and shattered into a million impossible to repair pieces. And my mom was angry. And understandably so. And, and she, I just remember her, you know, just grabbing us as we tried to run away. But at that point we we're exhausted because we've already been running around the house and, and, and she's just full of, you know, rage and, and it quickens her. She's like a, like a cougar when she's upset. <laughs> And she pounced on us and grabbed us, and the pants came down, and the paddle came out. It was an extension of her very being. And, and she struck us time and again. Each word was punctuated by a paddle. And it was, I told you not to run in the house. And she would even split syllables. It's like, you careless kids. And careless is one word. That should be one beating. But no, it was split and and just you know we were devastated and and abused and we should we should have learned our lesson we should have but as soon as they purchased a new lamp an even more irreplaceable beautiful antique stained glass bulb type of lamp situation i don't know what it is uh as soon as that happened, we did it again, less than a month later. Um, you know, chasing each other around the house, not a care in the world, and we knocked it over. And I remember her saying, I remember my dad saying too, because he was, he was there for that one. Moments before it happened, you remember what happened last time? And my response was, like that could possibly happen again. <laughs> I mean, this is like winning the lottery. This is like lightning striking in the same place twice. This is a statistical anomaly. What you're saying is logically absurd. And uh, you're being irrational. You're being unreasonable. And you're just trying to, you're just trying to ruin fun for the world. <laughs> but moments later, I was running up the stairs and away from the booming voice 
of my furious father. You know, yelling in his voice, which is now my voice. They did it again! Get them out of my sight, for if they remain here, they shall surely die! It's a little bit more eloquent and, and less riddled with profanity than what he actually said. <clears throat> and I fled that day to my room, and I hid in my closet. And he was, he was wroth, and he had every reason to be. And he, he had warned us. He had given us every single opportunity to save ourselves from harm. And, and we and I refused to listen. Um, I, I, and my actions uh, you know, were, were irresponsible. I had caused this to happen. And, and what I did caused pain to them. And this is the way sin often is. And it's a weird thing to consider that, that what we do and we think, well, you know, this is just, uh, this is just what I want to do. I want to be running around. And I broke this thing that was precious to them. And I caused them pain with, with my sin. And, and, but what if instead of fleeing, what if instead of running, I, I looked at him in the eyes. I fell to my knees and repented. And I said, Dad, I did it. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And I'm sorry. And I repent before you and plead for mercy. Now, he would have probably beaten me in spite of my epiphany because he's my dad. But that's the point of this passage. The point of this passage is to draw us into a consideration of another father, our heavenly father. The, the verse declares the contrary with our, with our heavenly daddy, right? When we say, have mercy, have mercy, I'm guilty, and the belt falls from his hands. Okay, I'll have mercy. I'll have mercy. And I say, oh, thank you, daddy. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You're so good, dad. And he goes, okay, just, just be careful. And go on, go your way and sin no more. And I say, oh, what manner of father is this that I have? Oh, you're so good. Oh, you're so merciful. Oh, you're so gracious. How can I, how can I ever deserve this? What can I ever do to earn this? And there's nothing in all the world. I can never earn it. I can never deserve it. And he says, just go your way and sin no more. I'm merciful. And I say, okay, but that's not enough. What? And I can see him already reaching for the belt on the floor. And I say, no, no, now you've forgiven me. Now bless me. What? And make your face shine upon me. Be happy with me as you bless me. I'm not finished. This is what I want you to do for me now. Don't just forgive me. Bless me. Shine upon me. Oh, God, this is who you are. You don't punish, you bless. You don't exchange wrath for mercy. You exchange wrath for mercy, blessing, and shining. You're smiling over me. This is what I want from you. Oh, he would snatch that belt up faster than I could even finish and start beating me to death with it. But that's not our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father is quite another father. 
How arrogant and presumptuous a statement is this? I mean, the shattered uh, shards of sin in this lamp are at my feet. The evidence of my folly are clear. And I'm still saying, hey, no, not just mercy, blessing for me. No, not just blessing. Be happy as you're blessing me. That's what I want from you. And you say, I, 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 would, I, I would never presume to talk to God this way. Unless God told me to talk to him this way. And that's the fascinating thing about this passage. That this is a prayer given by God according to Numbers chapter 6. And he says, this is the kind of relationship I want to have with you as your father. You are my children. This is, is the incredible God that we have. That when you sin, I don't want you to flee. I don't want you to hide. I, I, I don't want you to feel this need to put distance and to, and to feel ashamed to cover up who and what you, you are and have done. I want you to come to me with who you are. I want you to come to me with what you've done. I want you to bring all of that and lay it at my feet honestly. And here's the promise. When you do, I will meet you with mercy. But I won't leave you with mercy. I won't leave you broken in a million pieces full of regret. I'll bless you. I'll make my face shine upon you. I love to do just that for you. But listen, here's the point. Here's the purpose. And here's the rest of the psalm. I love to do that for you so that you would see how to do that for everyone else around you. And this is, this is what was missing since Numbers chapter 6. And I think this is what's missing in a lot of us. That we come to God and we pray this prayer and we say, God, mercy for me. Oh, God, blessings for me. Oh, God, shine upon me. And yes, and yes, and yes, and amen, and praise you, Lord. But the purpose of it is for you to see that, to learn from that, and to share that with every single soul you're surrounded by. And this is what we see beginning in verse 2. That your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. I haven't done this for you, he would say. I have done this for everyone around you. I have done this so that a world might see you. A people shown mercy to show mercy. A people blessed to be a blessing. And a people shining to radiate the glory of God. And day and night this prayer was recited by people that had altogether missed the point of it. Why why did God separate Abraham in the first place? Why did God raise up Israel? 
Why did God want a people after his own name, his own special people? Did God want this only uh, so that he would have these people in the midst of all the people, the world over, the millions, the billions of them, all the people that, that he had uniquely handcrafted, knit together in their mother's womb? Does he care so little about them that he would call these people the only people, his people? Is that his plan? And say, do I care only for Israel? But that's what the assumption had become. You know, my brother was doing some, <clears throat> some research uh, not that long ago. He was writing this paper. I don't know why he was writing it. Uh, uh, it was on our family genealogy. And he discovered uh, that all that is in our bloodline that we presumed to be French and Spanish was, uh, in fact, Jewish that our Israeli ancestors fled Europe during the Inquisition and found refuge in Mexico. And uh, it, was, it ran in my grandma's veins and passed down to my mom, and she uh, brought about us, my brother and I. And, uh, and my brother sat wide-eyed on my couch telling me that day the truth of the matter that we are God's chosen people. We are Jewish. I am Jewish. I'll tell you, few things have excited me more in all of my life than to know that I'm Jewish. And, and it, there, there, was this, there was this wild frenzy in me. I'm Jewish! A member of this elite family, this selected group called out of the world by God himself. He said, these are my people. Michael, you are my people. Why are you pluralizing? I don't know. You are, you're it. You're the, you're the one. You're Jewish. You're, and it was as if it was me that was called out of Ur the Chaldees with Abraham. I was there. And I, it was as if I walked through uh, the parted Red Sea with Moses. It was as if I slew uh, Goliath with David. And the stone I saw it sink into his forehead. And then we ran out to chop off his head. Because we're Jewish. I'm Jewish. And, and it was as if I was walking on the shores of Galilee with Jesus. Because I am Jewish. And I was so excited. And then we had our baby boy. We had our baby boy, my little Jewish baby boy, this little promised child. And, and the, the, oh, I was so excited. And we were in the hospital, and the doctor came, and he checked over Miles. And he looked at Miles, and he examined him, and, and he was poking him, and, and you know, stretching out his limbs and everything. And he looked at this baby, and he said, he's perfect. And I said, no, doctor, he's not. He's not. You see, not yet. This, this boy must be circumcised. He's a child of the covenant. He's my little Jewish child. He's not perfect yet. He needs to be separated in the flesh as a symbol of what is no doubt already a separation in his soul and spirit because the blood coursing through his veins is the blood of the chosen people of God. 
We are Jewish, and this is my little Jewish man-child. And the doctor looked at me like I was insane. Probably never heard such an impassioned rant on why a boy needs to be circumcised. But I was like, no, you don't understand. This is, this is my chosen child. This is my covenant kid. He needs, to be, he needs to be circumcised. You must perform the appropriate ritual before he's perfect. And then he'll come home and I'll lift him up like Lion King. And all the nations will gather around and they'll recognize what's happening. And, and I was just, he took the child and he left the room like, okay, whatever. And, and I was sitting there just excited. Oh, my little, my little Jewish baby. That's my Jewish baby. He's going to get circumcised. This is a big deal. Should have had his rabbi do it, but I don't know if Sam would go through that. He's not going to, really not qualified anyways. And, but then, then Boo shrewdly turned to me in her hospital bed and said something that I'll never forget. And something that, quite honestly, I don't think I'll ever forgive her for either. (laughs) She said, Michael, Miles isn't Jewish. She said, the Jewish people, they're they're a matriarchal society. So uh, Judaism is passed down from the mother. So if the mother isn't Jewish, the baby isn't Jewish. And I'm not Jewish. So neither is he. And I'll never forget the feeling in my heart. <laughs> it was, it, there was an all-consuming void. It was like the oxygen had been sucked out of the room, and I felt faint. And I said, my baby is a Gentile. <laughs> He's a Gentile. And, you know, traditionally, Jews looked at Gentiles as fodder for hell. They looked at them as, as dogs. And, and I, I saw Miles, and he came back to me circumcised, and it was a lie. And I, <laughs> and I, and I held him. And I just remember holding him, thinking, thinking, I love you passionately. I love you with all the fervor a soul can muster. And you're a Gentile. <laughs> you are not fodder for hell. You are not a dog. You are my child. And how God must be bellowing this from the heavens night and day in a resounding chorus of John 3.16 saying, you know, I gave this for the world. For the world, not just for you, not just for Israel. I haven't called them exclusively. I haven't called you uniquely. I've done this for all. Why do you always make it about you? Why? I didn't call you out as a special people so that you can be called out as a special people. I don't bless you because I love you uniquely. I bless because I love the world passionately. 
And I want all of them, all of my children, I want them to remember what they have forgotten since Adam. Because so many have. They've forgotten the goodness of this father, the mercy of him, the way that he can shine upon a life and turn everything around, change it all with his love. He cares so much for us. He wants to use us to remind the people that we are not an exclusive population. We're a representative collection. We're a collection of castaways that God calls his kids. That's what we are. That's what you are. That's what I am. And we lose sight of that, and we make this whole thing an island. We make it an island, and if anyone actually does go through the trouble to swim the arduous journey across the way to set foot upon our sandy shores, they would find a people that usually do nothing but speak ill of them. They find people that despite the fact that they've been shown a great amount of mercy that do not seem to often live a life displaying that mercy. They'd find a lot of people that are critical and hyper-spiritual. We're an island seeking our own blessing. And the psalmist realigns our focus and he says, shine upon me so that I have something to radiate out to the world. Do this so that they might see, so that they might know you. And in verse two, he says, when they see you, when they know you, they'll know your way. They'll know your way. But you see, it's more than an intellectual knowledge. He goes on and says, your salvation. Right? They'll know your way, but he continues to say they'll see your salvation, that, that their spirit will be satisfied. And now it's, 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 it's not a moment, it's not walking down on a field or raising a hand and saying, I agree, I'm in, I, whatever. It's more than a way, it's more than a salvation, it's praise. Your soul cries out, now reacquainted with its creator. And, and praise comes forth like taking your first breath. And it's something that's so natural. You were born to do it. But when you meet him, it's like breathing for the first time. You're, you're reacquainted with this foreign sensation. You always thought that there was something that would be worth praising. But now you see it face to face. You always knew that there, there was this love in the universe. But this is love like no other. And it stirs this thing naturally in you. Who is this God that shows such mercy? Who is this God that blesses us so freely? Who is this God that shines upon us daily? Not only us but all around us. You see, something we've been talking about with the youth is 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9 is such an incredible verse to consider. You know, if, you, if you've ever wandered this world asking yourself, what does God want? This is your answer. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God doesn't wish any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is what God wants his heart beats day and night 
for this to happen, these last two verses, when it says, then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. This is what God has always wanted. This has always been God's wish. It's an amazing thing to consider that, that even God doesn't get what he wants. Right? Because there are still so many that don't know him, that aren't praising him. He says, hey, listen, this, this is what I want. This is what I want to see happen. This is what you can be a part of to see happen. When all the world and even earth itself increases with redemption. It's when all the world, according to verse 6, says, God, our own God, shall bless us. It's no longer their God, those on the island. It's our God. It's our own God. You know, and Spurgeon, I mean, he, he, uh, he has a sermon on these last two verses, and, and, and I read it. And, and I mean, just no one, no one puts things quite like Spurgeon. He, he had this wonderful insight uh, with this phrasing of God, our own God. And he said, you know, there's a lot of homes in the world but they're not my home. They're not my own home. There's a lot of fathers in the world, but they're not my own father. There's a lot of children in the world, but they are not my own children. There's a distinction to be made here. Your house is not my house. right? And I'm not comfortable in your house. I don't care how comfortable you try to make me in your house. And a lot of people, when they invite me into their house, they're like, can you please take off your shoes? And that's just rude, right? <laughs> what if I don't want to take off my shoes? And what do you think I've been doing that you don't trust me enough to walk around your house with my shoes on? And it's like, oh, I just ran through a bunch of mud puddles and then I decided to come to your house. <laughs> no, I'm not that guy. And don't, but that's, that's the thing. And people say, you know, like, make yourself at home. But you don't want me to make myself at home at your house. Because it's your house. It's not my house. First of all, I couldn't make myself comfortable in your house because it's your house. But second, you wouldn't want me to make myself comfortable in your house because, I mean, it's like when I get into my house, the shoes come off, obviously. But most of the time, I'm comfortable not, wa- not wearing pants in my house. Right? It's, just, it's just boxer shorts in my house. Right? And that's maybe a weird thing to say in a message. But, but you know, I mean, that's, you would feel very offended if I did that in your house. Right, and there's a lot of children, but those aren't my children. I like children. I mean, I work with children every single day, you know, and and you know, and I teach them, and they're nice and they're neat, but they're not mine. They're not my own child, right? And I've I, I I've never loved a child before my own child, but I've also never been so utterly disrespected by a child that I have been by my own child. You know, at work, I'm teaching kids, and they're sitting across from me, and if they spin around in their chair, I bring the walls of the learning center down upon them like this is Jericho, and it's, you know, the wrath of a thousand false gods comes at them, and how dare you disrespect me by spinning in your chair and not giving me your full attention, and they straighten out, and they listen, 
but Miles on Thursday with my daddy day, I mean, he, he, I mean, he, he screamed in my face, he pooped in my lap, and, and he headbutted me no more or no less than three times. You know, I'm holding him and just the head comes at me and smashes into my nose. I mean, and, and I look at him and I love him. I love him with a passion that I didn't know existed. Right? But that's, that's, that's the way it is with God. That's what this passage is saying. He's not, just, he's not just their God. He's not just a God. He's your own God. And, and, and we, I, am his own son. Right? You are his own son. Or you are his own daughter. That's a wonderful thing to consider. Right, I see, God would say, I see children scattered, scattered the world over and all I've ever desired was for them to look at me and realize what it is that, that is looking upon them and loving them. It's the father that wants nothing more than to welcome them home, to love them though they though they scream in his face. I suppose you can't really poop in his lap or headbutt him. <laughs> All manner of disrespect we do to God daily. He loves us passionately. He says, this is what I've wanted for you. Uh, so the matter is set before us in the practical application of the passage. What becomes of all of this? And it's simply this, the transition between verse 1 to verse 2, God bless me so that I can be a blessing to others, so that they would see you as your father, their father. And, and listen, this is the thing to consider. What does that blessing look like? What does it look like when God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others? You know, for Paul... That blessing was prison and chains. But through that blessing that God gave to Paul, were not the nations prompted to praise? Do we not praise because of it? Because of prison and chains, Paul preached like he'd never preached before. He, he wrote like he had never written before. The world sings the praise of God as a result of it. So when we pray this prayer, this is what we're praying. We're saying, God, bless me so that I could be a blessing to others. I don't care what that blessing looks like. What I care about is that you get what you have desired since the creation of the world. It's for every life that you knit together personally, intimately, uniquely, that they would call you Father. Because that's exactly what you are. That they would see mercy from me because I've received mercy, how can I not show mercy? And I don't know who you're thinking about, who, who pops into your head when you think they don't deserve mercy. Right, and, and maybe for some of you, uh, I know I say a lot of terrible things. So maybe, maybe you'd go, well, Michael, that guy, he doesn't deserve mercy. I, I've said a number of things to Daniel Jacobs, and I'm sure he could look at me and go, that man does not deserve mercy. And listen, I'm going to say something very simple to you. You need to repent, though you feel justified, Daniel Jacobs. 
<laughs> he found a loophole. Because God, God has been so merciful to us, how could we, how could we not show mercy to others? And, and I don't care what has been done, because it's not about you. He's shown you mercy, not because he's like, oh, you're so special and you're so unique and you're so wonderful. He's shown you mercy so that you could say, this is mercy. This is what the world needs more than, more than anything else. He's blessed us, not so that we can feel blessed. Right? He's blessed us, this, this wonderful, extravagant blessing. And here's the practical application of it. Blessing you've received, blessing you need to give. The transition between verse 1 to verse 2. I drive around often contemplating the limitations of my blessing. How far am I willing to go to bless someone? I was thinking about this uh, on Mountain Avenue between 24th and 25th Street coming around that corner and I came to the conclusion that I have strict limitations on what I'm willing to do to be a blessing for someone else's life. You know, I, I think, okay, well, you know, God, you've withheld nothing. First, I- incarnation, and I can't wrap my brain around that. You, you set aside the splendor of heaven to come down to stinky humanity. And, and as a result of how good and wonderful you were to each and every one of us, you were spat upon, you were bruised and beaten, you were scourged, you were nailed to a cross and crucified. This is the price you are willing to pay to be a blessing to someone else, to anyone else, even if it's just one of us. And, and I was driving around that corner thinking, how far am I willing to drive? <laughs> you know, okay, well, I mean, yeah, I could, uh, I could do that, but that's like 50 miles away. <laughs> how much money am I willing to spend? How, how, how much time is it going to take? Oh, and God, you have blessed me without the consideration of such trivialities. Why? Why are they at the forefront of how I interact with people? And finally, God, make your face shine upon me. And why do we want God's face to shine upon us? Such a strange thing to read in scripture. I don't know what that looks like. But it really means God to just smile at us. That he's, he's not begrudging us as he's merciful. He's not saying, oh, I'm going to bless you, but you're, you're lucky this time. I'll let you get away with it. No, he's smiling. He just loves to do it. And we read that, and I think some people just think, oh, it just makes me feel so good about my relationship with God. And other people look at me, and they're like, ooh, there's a shiny, happy Christian. And then I look at you know, them, and I go, yeah, I am. You know? And it's just this neat, wonderful thing that we can do. It's very, uh, very cheeky and coy. Oh, how the world can look at us and go, ooh, they're, 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 they're smiled upon by God. But that's not what this is about at all. It says, we are to be those that beam with the radiance of God as one smitten with the greatest romance of all time. Right, as on the day that I said, I do to Boo, and I looked at her and I said, my very own wife. And she looked at me and said, I do. And she said, my very own husband but greater still because we look at God and we say, my very own Savior, my very own Redeemer, 
my very own. And such, such love draws curiosity and inquiry. And this is God's singular strategy. This is God's plan for the redemption of all people, all time, everywhere. Is for him to love you so passionately and perfectly that the world couldn't help but see it, desire it, and want nothing less than it. His plan and the application of it is that this is for us, this is for you, this is for me, for us to radiate this kind of mercy, this kind of blessing, this kind of shining, and say, God, whatever it is that you would have for me, it'd be chains, be prison, whatever burden you'd set before me, it's your blessing, and it's for it's for everyone else but me. It's not about me. Put your love on display in and through me. Let's close in a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, God, I ask that you would do just that this morning. Lord, that as we sit before you, we consider what it is to be shown such mercy. Lord, none of us have received what we deserved. Not a single soul here. All of us have received mercy beyond measure. On top of that, we have been so incredibly blessed by you. And Lord, on top of that, you shine upon us. We are so loved by you. I pray, God, that all of that, that the volume of it would be so that we would simply draw in a world that has forgotten you, a world that has been wayward since Adam. Lord, each individual that you knit together personally, specifically, intimately, Lord, your desire is for them. Lord, you do all of this for us to make us that spotlight of grace. I pray, God, that we would reflect nothing less than it, that we would be people that have received much and that give out in equal measure. Lord, holding nothing back, showing no less the mercy that you've given us, extending no less the blessing that you've given us, Lord, and shining upon the world as we do so. We are not an exclusive people. Oh, Lord, you've called us, all of us, to the ends of the earth to be your people. I thank you, God. I praise you. Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us opportunities to live this out every day. Lord, as we as we radiate your goodness to this world that desperately needs to see it. And trust all of this into your hands. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.